Okay, so today we're going to be continuing on in our series on biblical stewardship. Um, and uh, today marks the first of a couple of messages that everyone is looking forward to. I know since we started this, you guys were thinking, I hope he starts talking about money and stuff, because I love hearing about that in church. It's so awesome to feel pressured and guilted into stuff. Um, that, that's basically what we're doing, but not in that way. Um, so basically what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, this is week three. The first week we talked about the heart of the steward and how our attitude towards what we have and, and what we do with what God has given us is, is so important as to the way God will, will, uh, is going to interact with us. Uh, and the second week, we talked about the hands of the steward and the idea that, that our actions are not what bring us closer to God. We come to God, and that should lead us into action. You know, And how doing nothing is not acceptable in God's eyes. We are all called to do something. And this week, we're going to be talking about our material and financial resources. Now, I'm not talking about tithing today. I want to make sure that we're clear on that. We're not talking about the, uh, the tithe. I'm talking about the principle of giving. And the title of today's message is The Principle of Sowing and Reaping. And the, uh, throughout the Bible, there are a number of promises that are pretty awesome. But most of those promises, honestly, are made to Israel at that time. They're not necessarily universal promises for everyone. We've got to be able to distinguish that. But there are also principles that are for all time, for all people. And you can see God working that way all through scripture for that. And this is one of those principles, the principles of sowing and reaping. And I want to spend a little time with this, but as we begin, I want to make sure that you understand my motives in this, uh, because if there's anything I hate preaching about, it's finances. I really do. And it's mainly because of the way that they have been perceived in the church for decades and decades and decades. How many of you remember the day and age of the, the TV preacher, you know? If you need a healing in your life, sow a ministry seed into my ministry of $1,000. God will heal you. God doesn't care what you give. Uh, that, that giving is not, does not move you into the front of the line for the healing. It's not the way it works. But people abused their authority as, as, as representatives of God and as, as pastors and ministers to kind of bilk people out of things. It went on for years. Some of these guys, you know, they're flying into third world countries asking people to dig deep and give, and then they're going to fly out in their $72 million Learjet. You know, I mean, there's a problem there, you know. As a minister of God, it's not that bad to fly coach, you know. You, you can do that. You know, a Toyota will get you there just as much, just as fast as a Lexus, <laughs> you know. So when we're talking about stuff like this, I want to make sure you understand I'm not trying to pressure anyone. I'm not trying to get into your bank accounts. Um, and we're not going to be taking up extra offerings to give you a chance to give. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're going to do. This is why we didn't take, I've, I, I've, I've seen, been in churches where, where people will teach on this and then they take up the offering last. We're going to put the offering off today and we're going to do that a little bit later in the service. <laughs> Immediately you're just like, oh man, here we go. This is the way this is going to work. No, we're not going to do that. Um, as pastor here, one of the things I can tell you plainly is I don't know who gives what. I don't know what you give. I know what the bottom line number is because I need to know that in order to direct the church in financial processes. But I don't want to know what you give. Unless you're being considered for uh, uh, elected office or something like that, a deacon, um, I don't need to know what you give. And the only reason why I check into to that for deacons is because I don't want to bring someone onto the council who's going to decide what the money does who isn't sowing into that. It's not, it's not right, you know? Um, so we need to be, need to be careful with that. So, And when I teach on biblical finances, I want to be able to do it with a clear conscience, right? 
My only goal in this is to teach you God's standards for our finances. That's it. There are two basic things I'm trying to get, I want to get through in in the next couple of weeks. One is that giving is a doorway to a deeper, fuller connection with God. And I know, I know that sounds horribly manipulative. I get it. So just listen and then decide for yourself and then we'll move on from there. And the second one is when we give, God can make more happen with what remains than we could by keeping it all to ourselves. And I mean anything. I'm not, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about your time, your talent, your desires, your marriage, your relationships, all that. When we give into God generously, he can do more in your life with what remains than you could with all of it. It's weird the way it works out. God's math is, is God's math, and, and it's, it's pretty awesome to see it. Um, so those are my really simple, simple goals. Uh, we're not talking about any name it and claim it. I'm not gonna, talking about you know 10 spiritual ways to get rich. We're, I, 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 God's not worried about you being rich. He's worried about you getting into heaven. And hopefully, through this process, I can help you discover some powerful truths that can, can set you free in different ways, I hope. Now, the first point I want to talk about is the bounty of, uh, that's found in giving, the, the bounty and the blessing that's found in giving. Now, when it comes to the church and money, the world will constantly tell you, the church only wants your money. You can't trust the church with your money, right? All ministers are underhanded. They're all terrible people. They just want you to dig deep so they can live, they can live large. Uh, okay. Um, one of the first things that I was told after becoming a, a Christian, and I mean one of the first things I was told by family, was don't give them your money. And it was like that. It wasn't like, oh, don't give them your money. No, it was don't give them your money. And I was like, I just got saved. That's your response? Okay. Uh, it took me a while to figure out why. Now, the people telling me, telling me this weren't being mean, that was their experience. They grew up in the days of the corrupt TV evangelist. They've seen this stuff. They've seen it in their own family. They've seen it, they've seen it in, in other, uh, other, other people that they've known. I, I get it. I, I completely understand why the bulk of the world does not trust the church with finances. I get it. Believe me, I get it. And I can't really fault them for the view that they have. You know, when, when you think about this, you got people like Benny Hinn, Ken Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Creflo Dollar, a bunch of these other guys that are saying, send a thousand dollar seed offering into my money to release a blessing in God to your life. Here's what's going to happen if you write that check. You're going to be out a thousand dollars. That's it. That's what's going to happen. Because that process does not suddenly open God's eyes to you. It does not get you to the front of the line. These ideas of give, pay attention, to get, does nothing with your relationship to God. How many of you ever heard messages, give, get? I've heard tons of them. Give, get. You know, because if you sow, it'll be returned to you. 40, 60, 100 times. Press down, shake it together, run it over. That's not what that means. When we give with the expectation that God now owes me, God's not going to act on your behalf. That's not the purpose of giving. It's a heart condition that God is after. You think, you think the guy who spoke the universe into existence needs your money? It's not about that. 
but there's something that happens when we give. But now, okay, so for a long time, a lot of the church has been, and honestly, there are a lot of corrupt people in the church today still doing this. Yes, that's the truth. Now, that being said, that does not mean that we don't give. And that does not mean that we can characterize the entire church with, with that. We can't paint that, the church with that, that same brush. You have to acknowledge evil and, and sin for what it is, but still acknowledge the principle that God has. So God still wants his church to be a loving, giving, very generous church. But that means we have to practice discernment in what we're doing. And we need to understand not just the idea of giving, but why we give. Because that is more important. Those people are going to have to stand before God and give an account for the way they manipulated people. That's got nothing to do with me, right? Now, in Second Chronicles, starting in chapter 31, now, now here's what you can do. Uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, put a mark there, and then flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 31. And that's where we're going to kind of be hanging out a little bit today. So in Second Chronicles 31, Hezekiah has become king. And his predecessors, so he's, he's ruler over, over Israel, and his predecessors were ungodly men. They were ungodly men. They, they brought idols into the temple, they stopped temple worship, and it was just not a good thing. And suffering and famine and war was all through the land. Now, isn't it interesting that through by God's word, he shows us that if the leaders of a nation are ungodly, the things that will happen are financial ruin, famine, and war. Aren't we glad we don't see that today in our country, right? Isn't that funny, the way that works? Now, Hezekiah got into office, I guess you could say, and he decided to do something different. He decided that his decisions were going to honor God. So his first, uh, first step was to reopen the temple. Temple worship had stopped and there were idols, pagan idols in the temple of God. So he started by reopening the temple, and then he encouraged the entire nation to come and worship the Lord as they should. All of the idols in the temple were removed. The priests were called back to the temple, and the worship of God Most High began again. And we're going to pick that story up in chapter 31, starting in verse 1. Now listen, to, look, look at what happens. When the festival ended, the Israelites who attended... Went, all to, went to all the towns of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. They smashed all the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, and removed the pagan shrines and altars. After this, the Israelites returned to their own towns and homes. So they got rid of worldly influence in their life, just smashed it. Hezekiah then organized the priests and Levites into divisions to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings and to worship and give thanks and praise to the Lord at the gates of the temple. Now listen to this. The king also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning and evening burnt offerings. The weekly Sabbath festivals, the monthly new moon festivals, and the annual festivals as prescribed in the law of the Lord. In addition, he required people in Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and the Levites so that they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. Hezekiah, the king, he did not just encourage people to dig deep. He dug deep first. He began the giving first. 
He didn't say, bring stuff so that we can honor God. He said, bring stuff and I'm going to start it. I am going to furnish all the needs of the church until what you bring arrives. That's not a small deal. That's a huge issue. It's a huge offering on his part. Imagine how different it would be today in our world if our leaders moved in a manner like this. This is what godly leadership looks like. If your leaders actually do what they're asking you to do, and they do it first. Isn't that amazing? How God steps into that and begins to offer blessing. When the leader honors God, God will honor and bless the people. What that means is that even if you don't like it, pray for your leaders. Doesn't matter what letter follows their name, whether a D or an R or an I or a question mark sometimes. You pray for them. And you don't just pray that they make good decisions. You pray that they choose willingly to make godly decisions. So now in verse 4, when it says, In addition, he required all the people in Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and the Levites so that they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. This was specifically because the priests did not have enough to take care of their, them, themselves and their families. The priests had to hold down jobs outside the outside of the temple. They had to farm. They had to they had to go to work. It's just the way it was. Today, over ninety percent of ministers are bivocational, which means they have to hold down a full time job while pastoring. And I can tell you plainly, I that is unbelievably difficult because you have to go to work, but you also have this calling that you're trying to build. So there is a place where God is asking His people to support those who are supporting them. Now, I'm quite fortunate, and believe me, I am well aware of that. I'm, I have one of those positions where I'm actually fully supported by the church, and it's, it's, it's awesome. I can devote myself to the study and the teaching of the word, and I am tremendously thankful for that. There's a lot of guys out there that can't do that. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not getting rich, I'm not rolling in money, but we also have everything we need, you know? It's been, it's been fantastic. To be able to devote yourself like that is just a, a, an amazing blessing. But it's, a command, it's also a commandment of God. You think about that. Could you imagine going to a doctor? You need brain surgery. Doc, I really need this surgery. He goes, yep, yep, okay, I'm going I'm 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 to hopefully schedule here, but I've got to work at Chili's in the morning. Your surgery's at 4, I get off around 3.30, to 25-minute drive to the hospital. As long as we don't get any last-minute client, you know, people coming in the door asking for really complicated burritos, I should be able to make it before you're under. Would you, would you go to that person? Of course not. <laughs> Their vocation should support them. Ministry is exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. But that requires something of everybody, doesn't it? It requires that we be giving. Now in verse 5, it says, when the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by giving the first, that's important, we'll talk about that next week, the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the, the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe, 
of all they produce. The tithe just means a tenth. We'll get to that another time. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves brought in the tithes of their cattle, their sheep, their goats, a tithe of the thing they had, uh, had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them up in great heaps. They began piling them up in late spring, and the heaps continued to grow until the early autumn. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw these huge piles, they thanked the Lord and, the pe- uh, and, and his people Israel. Where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. He, he wasn't just curious. He was worried about his people. He's looking. Now, this has been going on all year. He's like, um, are the people eating? You know, do they have clothes? Do they even have cows? Look at all the cows. Are the, pe- are the people losing? What is, what is happening here? And the Levites responded in an amazing way. Because what the king was seeing was only a tiny percentage of what had been produced. Hezekiah wanted to honor God, now listen to this carefully, and follow the commandments, but he didn't want to starve the people in the process. And this is one of the fears that most people deal with in the church about giving. We find excuses in other places. People are corrupt. I don't want to give them. Those are excuses. But the fear that most people have is that they're not going to have what they need. You You know what I mean? I can't afford to give. The truth is actually the opposite. We'll explain that another time. In verse 10, it continues like this. It says, And Azariah the high priest from the family of Zadok replied, Since the people began to bring their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare. The Lord has blessed his people, and all this is leftovers. The gigantic heaps are leftovers. Hezekiah ordered that the storerooms uh, be, uh, 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 be prepared in the temple of the Lord. When this was done, the people faithfully brought all the gifts, tithes, and their other items dedicated for use in the temple. Konaniah the Levite was put in charge, assisted by his brother, Shimi. Again, if you're looking for baby names, I think Konaniah sounds pretty cool. All the stuff that Hezekiah was seeing, okay, all the stuff that he was seeing, remember, the Levites had been using it all year. What he was seeing was less than 10% of what the nation had produced. A tithe is 10%. They brought the tithe of the land. What he was seeing, what was left over after the Levites were taken care of, after their families were taken care of, after all the offerings had been made, was less than 10% of what the nation had produced. The nation had not produced this kind of bounty in decades. All they knew was famine, war, and hardship. And then they got a godly ruler who brought them into a place of, think about this, giving. That was the difference. Same land, same people, same temples, same farmers. Now, could you imagine after decades of famine, when you're putting seed in the ground, even just keeping seed from the year before, because they had to make it themselves, would be horrible. And what you put in the ground would be meager because every year it would reduce and reduce and reduce. Because if your crop is small, what you have left for seed is small because you still have to eat. 
So every year it was reduced and reduced and reduced. The year the nation began to give, they had so much they didn't know what to do with it. But the, it's because the nation responded to the king. And they responded not out of their plenty, their plenty. They responded out of their lack. The nation looked at all they had and said, we don't have enough, but you know what? God be praised. We're going to start doing things God's way, and it's going to hurt. Immediately, it turned around. Not because they had to, not because they were compelled to, but because they wanted to. They responded of their own free will. Now, I want to read you a section of scripture. We're not going to, we're going to spend much, much time in it, but I just want, to, want you to see how this works, and then we're going to look at it more, more, more in more detail next week. This is from Malachi 3. 6 through 12 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Keep that in mind. I don't change. God never changes. What was true with him yesterday is true with him today. It's going to be true with him tomorrow. It says, that's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. It says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you have failed to obey them. Now, listen to this. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you? We've never gone away. Listen to the answer. Should people cheat God? They just asked the question, how do we return to you? Now, a better translation, remember, we're using the New Living Translation this year. A better translation is, will a man rob God? He's talking about theft. It says, you have withheld, you have actually taken from me something that is mine. That is what, he, that is what he's saying. says, but you have robbed or cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat or rob you? You have cheated me and the tithes and offerings do me. I am the Lord. I do not change. And let me ask you something. If something is theft yesterday, is it theft today? Yes. It's how God views it said we'll get into more of this later but now listen to what he says here you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me bring all the tithes into the, uh, into the storehouse the storehouse is your local church wherever that is so if you're visiting here i don't you don't need to you didn't need to if you gave here you didn't need to your tithe belongs to your church so that there will be enough food in my temple what was part of the offering used for again for the levites back in second chronicles so that there would be enough provision in the house of the Lord so that the servants of the Lord can devote themselves to the work of the Lord, right? Same thing here. He says, try it. Put me to the test. There's only one place in Scripture where God encourages you to test him, and this is it. Jesus even tells the, the, tells the devil, Scripture says, do not test the Lord your God. But here, God is saying, I double dog dare you. Right? might even be the triple dog dare, which is the coup de trace of the whole thing. We all know that. If you ever watch Christmas Story, you know that that is, that is just insane. <laughs> it says, put me to the test. Now listen to what happens for those who take this test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall to the, to, uh, uh, from the vine before, you, uh, before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what happened to Israel. 
when King Hezekiah actually began to follow the Lord. We're seeing that in their life. That when they began to do this, this is when the doors of heaven were opened. Now, the doors of heaven does not mean God is going to drop a 600-pound safe on you that's full of money. People, that, that's not what it is. got to remember, money's a, money's a new thing. The world has always been transactional. But he's not talking about making you rich. Opening the storehouses of heaven might just simply be making sure that the efforts of your hands succeed. That your business ventures succeed. That what you begin to do works. You may step into something unknown, unprepared, thinking that it's completely going to fail, but you step into it and it, and it, and it works. And it works because we've obeyed the principles that God has put before us of giving. That's the sowing and reaping. That's the difference between the two. God blessed them beyond what they needed after they began to give, but not just, it's not, please hear this, it's not just the action of giving. It's giving with the right heart. If your heart is not right, you can give until you don't have a penny left. It's not going to make any difference. It's the heart condition of the person who's giving that matters, not the dollar figure. Point number two in this is how does giving bring me closer to God? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, Do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy the th- and thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to this. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How many times have you heard this said, where your heart is, your treasure will be? That's not what it says. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you don't have treasure in something, you're te- typically you don't, you don't give a rip about it. When your parents buy you something, parents, parents don't know this, you buy your kid a bike. They're just like, it's out in the yard, it's in the rain, it got run over. They buy the bike. I need a spot in the garage for my bike. Can I get a towel? I need to wipe my bike off. No, my brother can't ride my bike. He can ride the one you bought me. It changes when you have something in it. It always has. You might not care about the lottery until you buy a ticket. Now all of a sudden you're like, I don't want anyone to know, but I'm checking my numbers. You may not care about your car. You know that first car you get, you bought for $300? I don't know if you can even do this anymore. You know, you, took, you take it down to the very specific inspection yard because you've only got one light and one brake that works. You know, kind of where a lot of you farmers get your dump trucks inspected, just saying. <laughs> it's the one you don't drive at night, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So you guys are, don't let us know. I know, it's fine. <laughs> you got all the $300 in it, you don't give a rip about that car. Your friend's paying on it, you've smashed it into 15 things, no one cares. You get that new car, and you get that payment, now all of a sudden... Before you pull into a parking lot at Walmart, you're like, how close are they to the line? <laughs> that rusty car looks like they dent my door. I'm going I'm to drive a mile away from the store so no one can touch my car. 
Most people could care less about the stock market until you start opening a retirement account and you start watching numbers. You see, when your treasure is somewhere, your heart's there, right? God knows this about human nature. He wove it into our makeup. He wove it into who we are. He knows that about us. You see, the process of giving places our heart closer to that thing. Right, wrong, and different doesn't matter, but we all know everyone is like this. God did not create giving to get a hold of your money. created giving to get a hold of you. You see, when we start putting our treasure into the things of God, our heart is into the things of God. But when our treasure is just for me, I've known people my whole life in the church that I just wish I could get closer to God. I just just don't understand. I just wish I could get closer to God. I typically will ask them this question. Do you give? (laughs) Yeah. Every week, five bucks. Oh. Oh, good. You're in church four weeks a year. So... That's not treasure. Treasure is something you value. You see, it's not... It's not just it's not just a dollar figure, folks. Ah, excuse me. Bet I'm good. Everything's fine. No. It's not simply a dollar figure. If you don't care about it, if it means nothing to you when you drop it, that's not treasure. A treasure is something you're like, uh, okay. There, I feel better. It's gotta mean something to you. That doesn't mean when the offering plate comes around, shove a kid in it. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> Got 10 kids. Here's my tithe. <laughs> it's the loud one, you know? <laughs> you just realized you guys are pretty close to that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> so giving. God created giving to get a hold of your heart. The work that God has set before us on this earth to bring his gospel to the nations is not something you can do with a wishy-washy attitude or a wishy-washy commitment. It requires a significant commitment. And that means a significant connection from you. That commitment typically will open your heart to it. And it will manifest itself through your hands. Secondly, God created giving to open up a doorway for blessing for his people. Let me share you with something. There are two verses that I hear quoted just so often, and they're always quoted wrong. They, they make me laugh, um, but it's just the, the way it is. This is like when I was talking a few weeks ago. I said people love verses, but they don't like scripture, right? Here are two verses that are probably cross-tips on something in, on some, in some of your houses. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, Right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's encouraging. The last one, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all my needs. Woo! 
but we forget about the verses in between those two. You notice they're in the same chapter, only a few verses apart. See, there's, there's words in between the words, and when you read the words in between the words, it changes the meaning of the other words. So let's, uh, let's throw a mud pie on your happiness for a second. Let's, I'm, I'm good at this. You all seem happy. I want to fix that. So let's, let's do that. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, it says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. Again, Paul is praising the church in Philippi because they're about to send him an offering. It says, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or, an em- or, or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. That verse just simply says, it doesn't matter how broke I am, it doesn't matter how, how, how rich I might be, it doesn't matter what kind of house I live in, what kind of car I drive, it doesn't matter if I'm in a tent down by the river and I have nothing to eat, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means I can be a successful, poor, broke, sick Christian. That's what that means. No matter how bad my life gets through Christ who strengthens me, I'll live. Right here, that little scene, I think, from Aladdin. You'd be surprised what you can live through, right? Still here. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the movie, The Passion. There's a scene in there. It's the beating of Jesus at, at, uh, toward, towards the end when the Roman guards are beating him with the, with the cane uh, rods. And they're beating him, and he's right to the ground. And they stop, and they're laughing. And it's probably one, it's, it's definitely not in the Bible, but it's one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen because it's just so macho. Jesus is on the ground, he's beating, he's bloody, and finally he stands up, takes a breath, and you can almost see in his eyes, is that all you got? And then, and then they continue. And when that happens, I'm just like, oh, yes! Because he knows he could smoke him right there if he wanted to. We can do all things, even be broke. Now, keep listening. Even though you have done well to share with me in my, uh, in my, with my present uh, difficulty, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. I want you to think of something. They looked for Paul so that they could send him an offering. And they did it when no one else did. Even when I was in Thessalonica... You sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me uh, with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. At this point, it should be pretty clear that Paul can be content anywhere. But now think about this. How often are we told how Paul made his money? Ministers should be like Paul. They should make tents. See, Paul worked 
uh, to, to, to supply, his own, his, supply his own needs. So ministers should supply their own needs. This is where most people don't understand the history of Scripture. Paul only made his own, uh, own living for about the first year of his ministry. And then he realized he couldn't. He couldn't successfully continue that and do the ministry, the work that God had set before him. So churches began to support him. That's just a historical reality. So yes, he did, but then he realized he couldn't. As his ministry continued, the churches began to support him so that he could devote his life to the work of the ministry. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. Second Chronicles 31.4. We're back to the same principle in the days of Hezekiah, alive and well in the days of the first century church. The church in Philippi began to support Paul with their offerings, and they were substantial. They weren't just like, well, I can send him $10. They were substantial. They wanted to make sure he was taken care of. And it was easy to see that as a church, they were as connected to Paul as they were because their treasure was there. Every time he said, you didn't just send me an offering, you sent me an amazing offering. Their treasure was with him. So their heart was with him. They kept up with him on a regular basis. It was pretty amazing to see this happening. Now we get to verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me... Wait, wait. I thought the church in Philippi was taking care of him. What does he say? The same God who's taking care of me. Because he knows where their blessing is coming from, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So when we say, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in heaven, what is the prerequisite to that? That we're giving. The prerequisite to be, to be walking in the authority of this verse, my God is going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's because I'm giving. I'm not waiting there going, yes, God, drop money on me. Lord, if I win the lottery, I'll tithe. Lord, if you get me a job where I make 150,000 a year and don't have to actually do any work, I will give a lot of that money away. None of that's there. It doesn't work that way. God will supply all of your riches, uh, all of your needs according to his riches and glory when we obey him. <laughs> That's just uh, saying blah, 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 give, 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 whatever. <laughs> That's just awesome. I might be encouraging something bad. I'm not really sure yet. Paul was declaring to the church in Philippi the principle of sowing and reaping, the same principle that Hezekiah declared to his people before they even knew what it was, the same principle that God is talking about in Malachi, the same principle that the New Testament talks about constantly. You can't reap before you sow. You sow, then you reap, and God blesses what you sowed. He blesses it. But he can't bless our nothing. He can't bless the efforts of your hand when there's no efforts of your hands. 
You can't bless your talent and your offerings if there's nothing there. <laughs> the more it's, being, it's, like, it's like something with my voice. It's like, keep it up. <laughs> yeah, got a preacher there, right there. Yep. <laughs> Give me the pulpit, shorty. I'm taller than you. Uh. <laughs> they were blessed because they chose to give and to give joyfully and to give generously to the ministry of God's word. The key to the blessing of sowing and reaping is found in the heart of the individual. Not because you were guilted into it, not under some sort of pulpit you know, uh, uh, compulsion, but that the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who saved your soul and invited you into eternity, gave his own son so that you could live forever. So we give into that. We give because he first gave. And he knows that we live, this, this world is broken. We broke it. It was before God provided everything we would ever need. Now it's transactional, isn't it? Someone has something we need, we got to give them something. That is simply the way the world works, and God knows that. And in order for his church and the work that needs to be done to move forward, there's got to be giving into that. It has to happen. Talk more on that another time. When we give and we give generously, something in us breaks. And I'm wrapping up here, I promise. For some, it might be selfishness. Maybe you don't give because you want it all for yourself. So maybe that needs to break. Maybe that's what God's after. For others, it might be fear. I can't because I won't have enough. That's you, come talk to me. Because I've been there. When these things break in our lives, it's like a chain coming off your back that releases you into something new. And I'm not trying to get hyper-spiritual. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I have seen this hundreds of times in my life. Hundreds of times. But if you don't do it, you never see it. It's, it's, that, it's just this crazy thing. But when these things break, it's like a chain coming off your back. And if you're one of those reluctant people, if you're struggling with this issue at the moment, I want to encourage you to do two things this week, and none of them involve giving. I want you to pray and ask God to, add, to, to reveal to you what the problem is. Pray and ask God to reveal to you what the problem is in your life. And then pray and ask God to show you what to do next, and then do it. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's between you and him. But pray and ask what the, what the problem is, and then pray and ask what you need to do about it. I don't know. For everyone, it's a little different. Maybe, you, maybe this isn't an issue for you. If it, is, if it isn't, fantastic. If it is, it's keeping you from something. Believe me, it is. So let's try to get past this, right? Let's claim some victory in our lives. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to break free from a stronghold in our lives, Lord. To break free from this idea that in order to live, I've got to submit myself to the world. Father, you provide everything. There is nothing that exists today that didn't come from your hands at some point. Father, help us to lay down ourselves, to lay down what we have, 
our resources, our finances, whatever it might be. Help us submit them all to you in whatever way you deem fit.